send greetings from my home church. I'm a part of New City Church of L.A. Uh, in downtown Los Angeles, and I heard that uh, my good friend Delonte is here with me here today to preach, and we're at the same church, uh, New City. Uh, we have a great congregation there. I've been a part of that church for about two and a half years. So, as Aaron said, I am involved in police chaplaincy. I've been doing that for about 15 years. And I also have worked as a pastor for, it's kind of hard to believe, the last two decades. So I started when I was five. I was just a really early, started early on. And um, I just need to feel good about my age today. So, um, And as Aaron said, I worked, uh, work for a nonprofit where we come alongside catalytic leaders in the Southern California area that are seeking God's peace in their city. And uh, mostly what I do is I teach city theology, how to find a theology of a city, really how to uh, have God's heart for the city, and in particular, um, L.A. Um, that's the context that I find myself. So um, this morning, we're going to spend some time in one of my favorite Bible texts, uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7. And you may be familiar with some of the verses farther down, um, Jeremiah 29 11 talks about for the Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. But I'm going to be a few verses up before that, um, before we get to that wonderful reminder of God's purposes for our lives. We have this call in verses 4 to 7 that was given to the Israelites, and it's a word for us today. So I'm going to um, lead our time together in that. Um, so, but before we do that, I wanted to talk a little bit about cities and talk about some of the cities that I've had the privilege of living in. I've lived in a lot of different places. Um, I was born in San Francisco. Anyone native to San Francisco here? Okay, about one. All right. Um, I loved growing up in San Francisco. Grew up in a very diverse community in all ways. And um, it was just, I had a lot of natural beauty there. The arts, the theater. I grew up going to the Nutcracker every Christmas time. And it was just a really great place to grow up. And in college, I moved to San Diego and uh, lived there for a few years. And San Diego is one of those places that even if you live there, it's like you're on vacation. It's just kind of the vacation spot where everyone goes to vacation. Um, after college, I moved to Healdsburg in Sonoma County, and I actually lived on a vineyard, a real vineyard. And it was amazing because there I really discovered the rhythms of the growing of the grapes and was able to really assimilate that to the rhythms of life with God and really having the discipline of the spiritual rhythm. And as you watch the grapes grow and there's the pruning and there's the harvest, it was an amazing, amazing time to be there. I went to graduate school in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, if anyone spent any time there, it rains 10 months out of the year. So from September into June, it's a different shade of gray, but it pretty much rains. But when you get the summertime, it is spectacular. It is beautiful. Um, it's just absolutely natural beauty there is overwhelming. And I've been here in L.A. since 1997. And a few things I wanted to highlight about why I love L.A. I love L.A. because it's literally the most diverse city region in the world. We have 200 people groups here, they say. So many languages. I think alone in the L uh, L.A. Unified School District, they have 60 different languages, 48. 40 to 60 different languages. Um, and I just absolutely love the diversity in food and people and cultures. I love the sense of innovation here, all the movements that have come out of L.A., whether it be the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s, 
whether it be Penny Mason, who was brought here as a slave and ended up being the first African-American woman to own property in Los Angeles and is the founder of the first AME church, or Amy Super McPherson, who founded Angelus Temple and was able to reach out to Hollywood, um, or even Henrietta Mears, who worked at Hollywood First Press. And uh, out of her ministry came Billy Graham's call to ministry and evangelism and Campus Crusade for Christ. So when you look at the kinds of movements that have come out of here, the ideas, LA has been a place um, where a lot of these have come from. And then I just think of influence. LA is a place of influence. And you think about Hollywood, but you think of a lot of different things. We influence the rest of the world. And those are some of the reasons why I love LA. So since we're here in Glendale, I don't know much about Glendale, I have to confess, so I had to do some research and to learn about some of the history. And so I was learning about uh, Verdugo, who was a corporal in the Spanish army, moved here in the 1700s and became a rancher, and uh, his influence here in Glendale. And I learned about the name of the town, uh, actually is in, in Gaelic and means valley, um, because there were a lot of immigrants that came from the British Isles. And I learned that in the, 18, uh, the 1980s and 90s, that Glendale's population um, grew because of immigrants from Armenia, the Middle East, Korea, Mexico, and the Philippines. I also learned about that there was an airport here, the Grand Central Airport. I did not know that. And it's where Jack Northrup started building airplanes and where Howard Hughes built his racer and where many World War II pilots were trained. So when I think about Glendale, this may be a place of diversity, uh, generosity, innova innovation, and entertainment. So there's a lot of gifts that are from Glendale. Uh, you will know best what the gifts are of your city. But I want us to really challenge us that each city has a gift or a purpose. And so when I think about the places I've lived, San Francisco had natural beauty and diversity. San Diego had this gift of rest and play. Healdsburg gave me the gift of rhythms. Vancouver gave me the gift of great hospitality when I lived there. Um, and L.A. Um, gives the gift of diversity and innovation. So when we're thinking about our cities, why should we care? In the Bible, cities are mentioned over 1,200 times. God loves city, and we're told in Psalm 24:1 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so God dwells in cities. God is not only concerned about people, but actually place. And he redeems place as much as he does people. Um, there's a favorite quote of mine from one of my old professors, Ray Bakke. And he said that the story of humankind started in the Garden of Eden, but it ends in a city, in the New Jerusalem. And so I want us to be challenged to look at our city in new ways today. So as we get started and before we get to the text, I just want to ask you a few questions. What is one thing that you all love about Glendale? What are some of the gifts that you see as you drive throughout the city? What are some of the gifts that you see that God has placed here? And what do you see as a sign of God's hope in your city of Glendale? I want to challenge us to be thinking about that as we look at the text. So I'm going to be reading from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7. If you have your Bibles, or maybe it'll be up. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. And also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers,
wants you to prosper. So we're reading in the story how the people of Israel have been carried from um, their home to a place of exile in Babylon, and they weren't happy about it. Now, before this, Israel had rebelled, and so God was carrying them into a place that they did not want to be. And so the text of Jeremiah is really addressing this struggle and this season in the Israelites' lives. And there's three movements I feel like we can take from this text. Um, This call to move from exile to home, this call for moving from injustice to peace, and this call for moving from isolation to community. And I think it's a word that's applicable to wherever we are in um, how we are living in the city. So this is what the Lord says, um, the God of Israel, to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God calls us to live in a particular place. And for the people of Israel, he was calling them to live in the place of their enemies. Now, thinking about that, we may be in places that we don't like to live, but for most of us, we're probably not living in the land of our enemies. Um, And God is telling them, not only do I want you to live there, but you're going to find a gift from me in that place, living among your enemies. So I wanted to explore a little bit about what is exile. Now, for some of us, we may think, you know, it's a desert place, a wilderness. And in the actual definition, um, it says that exile means to be taken from one's home, being either explicitly refused permission to return or being threatened with imprisonment or death upon return. But the reality is they were in Babylon. It was a city that had a lot of activity. It wasn't a wilderness. It wasn't a place where nothing was happening. But it was a place that was strange to them. And for the Israelites, this was a place that their heart did not belong to. And I want us to think about our own uh, places of exile that we experience. We may not be like the Israelites living in a city we don't want to be in, but we may live in a sort of exile in our world and our context. We may be caught in a trap of challenges or disappointment, feeling isolated and alone. There's all kinds of exile that we can experience. And when we are experiencing exile, a lot of times what we do is we become afraid and we adopt a fortress mentality. We kind of hide ourselves away from what's going on out there. And I think that's exactly what the people in Jeremiah 21 were thinking. You know, we're being taken captive by our enemies, and we're just going to hide out and protect ourselves, and we're going to wait it out until God delivers us. And I think that this is where we need to be challenged. In those places that we feel abandoned or rejected or discouraged or forgotten or not listened to, that we aren't to hide out and wait it out, but we're actually to thrive. So I want to tell you a little bit about my story. So I was living in Canada going to grad school. And I was praying about where to move. And I told the Lord that I was open to going. This is a true story. told the Lord I was open to going anywhere he sent me. Literally, it could be anywhere in the world. I said, but there is one exception. Can anybody guess what the exception is? Yeah. There was no way that I was going to come to Los Angeles. No way. That was non-negotiable. There was no way that he could change my mind on it. I did not want to come to L.A. Being from San Francisco, if you're from San Francisco, you know we've got a little bit of a war going on with Southern California. And so I just had these images and these perceptions of L.A., and it was just a place that I didn't think that that would, that would be a place where I would thrive. And uh, anyways, it was really clear that this was where God was calling me. And so I've been here since 1997, and now what I do is I teach people about Los Angeles. So God has a funny sense of humor and how he changes our hearts. 
Um, so you just can, you never know how God is at work and what he's going to do with things. So in this particular story, as we think about the people being called into exile, um, God wasn't just punishing them. He was actually teaching something. He was changing their hearts. He was helping them to see things through his eyes. And rather than figuring out like I was when I was out in, here in L.A. for my first year, I was just trying to, like, bide my time for a year or two. But God's like, instead of figuring out your exit plan, why don't you find how I'm at work here and how I'm going to bless you in this place? And in this text, we see that God wants us in our time of exile to love our enemies, to live as family, to love a land that's not our home, which is really huge, and then to seek his peace in the city. And that leads us to our next call of movement from injustice to peace. In the text, he goes on and he talks about building houses and settling down and basically creating family and community. And that's expressed in all kinds of different ways. Um, we were, I was thinking about Micah 6.8 when we were reading it earlier. God calls us to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Very practical things. This is what God was calling the Israelites to be, very practical life things. And it wasn't just for the sake of, I want you to keep busy while you're here. He's like, I want you to enjoy life. I want you to find fulfillment here, even in a place of your enemies, because wherever I am, I am your home. And so when we look at this concept of peace, you know, it's a beautiful word in Hebrew, shalom, and it's a very, it, it's a bigger word than our English word really, it, it, our English word does not do it justice, but it can mean peace and prosperity, it can mean success, it can mean peace between two entities, especially maybe those that are at war with each other, it can mean bodily health, it can be translated as security and strength. Um, some places, shalom even is translated as a, a long life ending in natural death. So shalom looks like a lot of different things. But peace is that total reconciliation and restoration of us to God and us with our world and to each other. Peace speaks of a reconciliation that flows out of forgiveness and peace. It's a peace that speaks of a better world, and it helps us to see ourselves and to see each other as God does. It's a peace that can be tangibly seen in our lives and in our communities. And so what does shalom look like in our cities? Isaiah 65, if you haven't spent any time in the text, it's a, a beautiful image about the new Jerusalem, and it shows the lion and the lamb eating together. That's peace, where enemies can be eating together and doing life together. Those that we don't like, those that we have theological differences with, those that don't understand the world the way that we do, those can be our enemies. And God is saying, I want you to not just tolerate each other, but I want you to find community together. Uh, one of, it, because in my ministry and the teaching I do, I spend a lot of time at Humboldt Industries in downtown LA in Chinatown. I don't know if anyone's been there. Father Greg is a Jesuit priest, and um, he was assigned to Mission Dolores in, in Boyle Heights, and it's a gang-infested community, and he got really tired of having to bury um, young men in his parish, in his community. So he started Homeboy Industries, and they do rehabilitation. You can get a GED. They do free tattoo removal. It's, it's an amazing place, amazing place of God's heart. But one of the things that's most beautiful about this place is you will see rival gang members that maybe four or five years previous were trying to kill each other, sitting together at the front desk, working alongside each other in the kitchen. Like, that's miraculous. But it's because God's peace 
hand to change our hearts and the way that we see each other. And we move from seeing each other as enemies into seeing each other as part of our family and community. And there's a price to pay about this. Uh, there's a price that needs to be paid in this sometimes. And I wanted to tell a quick story about a pastor in California. Um, there was a couple named Roy uh, Ruth and um, uh, Pastor Roy Duff in Cali, Colombia. And they were really committed to Cali. But Cali in the 80s was rampant with drug lords, a lot of drug trafficking, really disturbing violence. And they were disturbed not only by the crime and just the lack of peace in their community, but the division among the church. The church did not walk together. Other Christians did not work together for the peace of their city. And it, while this was going on, that they were praying about this, um, Pastor Roy Bell was having a dispute with a neighbor um, over land. The neighbor was trying to take some of their land. And it kind of got heated and more heated. Um, anyways, Pastor Roy Bell um, was going to a church meeting, actually to meet with other pastors in the community. And on his way there, an assassin shot and killed him on the street. And Ruth, his wife, just realized when this happened that this was so devastating that this was God's opportunity for them to change things around in their city. And at the funeral, all the pastors came forward and they covenanted together that they were now going to seek the peace of the city. They were going to seek God's peace in their city together. And they actually covenanted, they held hands around his casket and said, we're not going to let his death be one in vain, that we're actually going to now find God's call for us in this city. And there's amazing transformation that's taken place in the city because they've done this. They've seen the crime rates go down. It's just been really miraculous. Um, but sometimes when we're seeing, uh, seeking God's peace in the city, um, there is a price to be paid. There's a verse, um, Martin Luther King, he says, we're caught in an inescapable, inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And I think sometimes we forget as we're seeking God's peace and as we're moving more into this place of community that the way that God has designed us, sorry, I'm going to turn around. The way that God has designed us is for community. That's, that's why if you read this text, it actually says, um, as you seek the peace of the city, I will shalom you. God is saying that to us. So as we seek the peace of the city, we're actually going to discover our own peace. That's God is, God's design. God's design is for our peace to be intertwined with each other. Our lives are to be intertwined with each other. So God calls us in this third act from isolation to community. Mother Teresa says, if we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. And my friend Jude says, we belong to each other, and together we belong to God. So how do we bring the presence of God by being with each other? It's not based on what we do, but it's based on whose we are. We belong to God. You know, do we value ourselves and each other as those made in the image of God? Do we want the best for one another? Um, do we open our lives up to each other? Do we express hospitality to each other? Um, there's a story of Celtic Christians um, who lived in Ireland and Scotland and Wales between the 4th and the 8th century, some of them are greatest heroes. And they really demonstrated how to move from this place of isolation to community by two values that they had um, in their community. Availability, 
that they made themselves available to one another and vulnerable. They were able to be open with their weaknesses and their struggles um, and the challenges that they faced. And through availability and vulnerability, they were able to journey together and do life. And I know that, you know, as we talk about this, it's really nice and we could say, oh, yeah, we want to seek the peace of the city. But it is messy and it is hard. And so I've included some questions in, I think they're in some of the, the packets of the pews, um, if you wanted to look through. And I just wanted to read them for us in kind of our reflection. Is how do we see the city as a place of exile welcoming? How do we define peace and what kind of barriers um, of God's peace do we experience? And how are we instruments of God's peace to the city? And how are others instruments of God's peace to us? How do we walk? How do we journey with one another? And so some of the challenges that I leave with us is identify ways that we can live in the city less like exile and more as home. Invite people to share meals with you, to share stories. And the last challenge I'll leave you with is write a prayer for a greeting. What would God want for the city? What would he want to see take place here? And I pray that as we walk with God and with each other in deeper ways in Glendale, that we're going to see God's peace grow in the city and in each one of us. And so uh, let's pray together. God, I just thank you for the city, and I thank you that you call us to cities. You call us to neighborhoods. So whether we're from L.A. or from Glendale or Burbank or Pasadena, help us to really reflect, God, how we see you at work here and how you want, you don't want us to see the city as a place where we just kind of rail off, but God, that this is a place where you called us to build community to invest, even with those maybe that we don't like or we don't understand. We, we thank you, God, that there are signs of your hope and your peace all around us. And I pray that as we move, as, as you call the people of Israel, that as we move from exile to community, from injustice to peace, and from this last place of isolation to community, that, God, you would truly change how we do life here. We're so grateful, God, for your presence. We just pray this all in Jesus' name.